Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Veterinary Optimist. I'm your host, Jennifer Evans. Before we jump into our next guest, I really want to take a second and point out that you may have noticed that I haven't posted an episode in three weeks. You know, with the holidays and life events, sometimes it's important to recognize when you feel like you may be overwhelmed. And I think I got to that point. Don't get me wrong. I love this podcast. I love hosting these interviews. I love connecting with people. And also, I have to recognize that I need to honor the fact that I have a lot going on. And I think this is one of those moments. And I knew if I wanted to do right by this podcast, in which I love so much, I needed to be able to take a deep breath and not put even more stress on my plate in a time when the stress was already high. I'm grateful for this opportunity. And I'm grateful that I get to connect in the way that I do. And also, I'm grateful when I recognize when I need to disconnect for a little bit. With that being said, I look forward to posting the rest of season two because I have some incredible guests lined up. And today is no different. Today, my guest is Penny Luster. Penny and I met at my previous place of employment, and I knew right off the bat that when I started to have the discussion around diversity, she was going to be one of my first guests. She made a very safe space for me to reach out and inquire about things that I was curious about. And I knew that I wanted that on my podcast one day. Penny doesn't necessarily have a veterinary profession background, but she has knowledge everybody can benefit from. She has a bachelor's degree in finance. She spent 20 plus years in accounting finance space. She worked as senior management in different industries from government to startup organizations. In 2016, she put her focus on people leadership. She went back to school. She got her master's degree in organizational leadership. And she changed her career path by joining the Talent, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Center of Excellence at Zoetis as a program manager. And she looks forward to expanding her influence in the areas of people and culture. You know, diversity is something that vet medicine has a lot of space to improve on. And I think some of that has to start with the most basic of conversations. And today, I really put myself in a vulnerable space by having this conversation on this podcast. And also, I hope that other people can learn from it in the way that I did. So... With that being said, everybody, please welcome Penny Luster. Penny, welcome to the Veterinary Optimist, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I um, There's not many people I'm willing to have this conversation with because it really requires a lot of vulnerability, in a, and I know that people have probably read the headline for this um, episode. And I'm just going to start off by saying that that I don't know if trigger warning is the statement that I'm going to use, but we're really going to dive in. I mean, I have to say it like that because we're really going to dive into some things that are going to make some people feel defensive. And I know that, Penny, because I have been defensive in this conversation before. I I was defensive and, and part of like me trusting you with this episode is, is the fact that I was able to come to you in some of these moments and break down some of these subjects. And, and 
I was just very grateful that you were there for me and that you were the human that I could rely on. So I, I wanted to start by saying that. And I and I want to follow that up with this. This episode is so important because most people don't realize that only 4% of veterinary professionals are people of color. And if we are ever going to change that, we have to be intentional about educating ourselves with with what we're what we don't know. We just don't know what we don't know. And and I firmly believe that. And so Penny, I want to start this conversation with the one of the statements when I first heard it, I got defensive over. And one of those statements is microaggressions. Can you help me understand and just a general overview of what a microaggression is? Yeah. So for me, a microaggression is kind of like a statement, an action, um a thought that maybe is verbalized or not verbalized that is intentionally, but most often unintentionally uh, discriminatory for one reason or another. Um, I do believe microaggressions can be weaponized. So, you know, when I said intentional or unintentional, I think some people know exactly what they're doing. Uh, but I will give the benefit of the doubt and say that I think there's a lot that don't. Sometimes it's preconceived notions. Sometimes it's how you were raised, things that you were raised to believe were fact um, and have not had them discredited as of yet. So that's what a microaggression is for me. Okay. Can I give you an example of one that I hear sometimes being a queer woman and, and let me know if that's kind of what you're talking about when you talk about a microaggression. So sometimes the, sometimes our community hears the statement, oh, that's so gay. When someone's talking about, like, yeah. they're meaning it in a playful kind of but way, I, how they've, right, how they've been raised and all of that. But they're like, oh, that's so gay. And I'm like, I, I don't know that you know how much that hurts people, you yes. know? Or I hear you speak so well. <gasps> okay. What now? <laughs> like, that's my original is like, what did you expect? Because you obviously had an expectation of, what you would hear coming out of my mouth based on some preconceived notions about who I am and what I represent. Right. Oh, that makes complete sense. When you say it like that, I don't know that. I, I feel like I've heard that before. I feel like I've heard people say that before and I can completely understand how you would almost get defensive of that. Of like, what did you, how did you expect me to speak? Right. Right. We're in a professional environment per se, right. A work environment. What exactly did you expect from me? Yeah. So how do you handle it in that moment? Like, what's the best way? Do you like take a deep breath? And I'm even asking for myself because sometimes yeah. I'm like, why, why did you say that? And sure. Um, so I guess I will say at this point at, you know, I've been in the professional and corporate environments for a long time. So I don't want to say it's not shocking. So for me, I generally try to take an opportunity, uh, depending on the day and the mood, uh, <laughs> to uh, re-educate, right? So I might flip that back and honestly ask them, well, you know, what did you expect? I want them to say it. I want them to think about how they're going to say what they want to say, mm. because that takes some pretty quick calculation in their own head of maybe it does cause them to say, hey, you know, why did I say that? What was I, you know, like can I say what I was thinking without it being offensive? That in and of itself will make you kind of re-gauge your thinking, right? Maybe, 
and if they're honest, I mean, you and I've had some pretty honest conversations. If that person can be honest and be vulnerable in that situation, they may be able to say something along the lines of, well, you know, X, Y, Z. I don't even want to project what I, what they, you know, but, and be honest with themselves out loud. I think that's the thing out loud honesty, right? Mm. Not hiding in your head, not hiding behind out loud honesty. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes the things that pass through our minds are crap and we are ashamed of them when we recognize them for what they are. But you have to be honestly, clear. Penny. Like half of the time, we don't even we don't even recognize. Like I truly believe that a lot of the things that come up when we're being when we're having thoughts like that or we're behaving in a certain way is based off of the tools we were given when we were raised, right? And what we saw the people around us do, and we don't even recognize. Like I have a lot of people like, oh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not against gay people. I have gay friends, and I'm like, I I don't think you. I don't think you recognize that that's not all it takes. Like you, you have to be, and and this just happened to me just the other day, Penny. I was like, man, I, uh, I only wish you understood that a little bit better, you know? Right. I I heard a comedian say, if you can, if you have a count of how many of, how many black friends you have, there's a problem. If you have a count of how many gay friends you have or how many have been allowed in your house, there's a problem there, Mm. you know? I mean, and, they said it in a joking way, but I'm like, that's facts. Like either they're your friends or they're not, you're not keeping track of one, two, three. Oh, that's it. I've reached my limit. Or like, you're not keeping track of, of their color or their gender or their sexual, sexual orientation. Yeah. It even drives me crazy. So I can only imagine how you feel because even me having to say the statement, my sexual orientation, why is that any, but why is that have anything to do with what you know about me or how we interact or like yeah. it, it, it blows my mind that that is even something that has to be said. So right. I can only imagine how you feel And and Penny, I kind of want to take this into, this allows a little bit of a, a, a flow into how you and I really kind of became closer friends because when you talk about the lens of experience and we were just talking about that, like sometimes I believe it's just the tools that people have been given when we talk about the lens of experience, I think about when I recognized, and I'm going to say this statement, and I know that so many of my listeners are going to bristle up, and I am sorry for that, but I'm kind of not sorry for that, right? I realized my white privilege when George Floyd happened, and I didn't even recognize that I knew it because I grew up in Dallas, right? I had you're right. I can't even count. And I never would count the amount of um, like black people I had in my life or, or Hispanic people or anything, because they were just my family. They were my surroundings. They were who I love to be around. And so when George Floyd happened, my, my brothers always didn't make the best of decisions, you know? And so police brutality was something that happened to my brother's group of friends period. And that includes my white brothers, right? Like, so for me, when it happened, I was like, man, we really need to work on ways to better these police officers on how they show up with these people. And they need to know how to handle all of these things a little bit better. It was never for me about color, right? And somebody really had to pull me aside and say, hey, Jen, this isn't about the police. I mean, it is about the police brutality, but 
it's also the fact that that so many people in the black community like are are so sick and tired of everything that they're seeing and i and that had to be put in my face and so can you can you help me better understand like what that meant to you like george floyd and in that entire experience um <clears throat> yeah i mean i can so for me obviously it was sickening i can be 100 percent transparent here and say i have never watched the full account i don't need to nor do i want to that's something that i know would replay in my head on a constant loop uh I read about it and I read many different approaches to the situation just to have a full perspective. But for me, uh, it was just heartbreaking. Uh, so that was 2020. Uh, at that time, I have two sons. Uh, mm. And this will sound weird and slightly off topic, but let me just tell you as a black mother of male children from their smallest beings, walking, talking, I worried and I worry about them. Mm. Uh, my youngest son is, uh, you know, he's on the spectrum. Uh, so he doesn't always verbalize well or respond appropriately. My middle son uh, is now a teenager and he is a constant, he's constantly in hoodies. They're constantly up. He doesn't make eye contact frequently and he is slow to speak uh, just because he's just not a talker, right? He just, that's not his thing. So I worry about them. I worry about them walking through the neighborhood, through the store, you know, uh, all of this. And my son right now is just 11. So three years ago, he was eight. And these were things that have been on my mind as a mother of black male children in the U.S., right? So George Floyd was just, and I, don't say it was just as if it's minor. It was, it's what we knew could happen. It's what we had seen. Uh, Mr. Castile was shot uh, in his car with his wife and his daughter. So <clears throat> unfortunately it wasn't anything new. I was shocked only at the response and the general, I guess, perception of the newness of it uh, in the general community of, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this has been happening in our communities. This has been happening to us. We have expressed to you that these are things that we experience. It's completely different treatment, completely different outcomes. Uh, you know, we see things happen where, you know, there may be a person of color who has a gun who is shot within three seconds or less of police interaction. Whereas we see uh, the gentleman in South Carolina, and a gentleman I use loosely, uh, in South Carolina that went into a church and killed people after sitting with them and praying. And he was taken to get food at or at Burger King before he was taken to interrogation. And he lived to see another day. Um, mm -hmm. So in my community, the question is always, why do we not get the same benefit of the doubt? Um, and then my, you know, moving toward, and I had actually moved towards, you know, an inclusion space in work and diversity space because I saw that there was a lack there. So I went to re-educate myself, uh, get more learning so that I could contribute in a professional capacity. And so it was always there. And, and what, what angered me and what, 
irritated me most was why is this fresh news? Why, what is the difference here between the response now versus ever? Um, that part, we, it, it felt like we weren't believed, uh, is what it felt like to me. I, Why weren't we believed? Penny, Why I can, we- I can only imagine there's a couple of things that I want to, that I want to circle back to in, in, in what you've just said, which is you're right. I, I don't know that I could have named any other situation before George Floyd that your community has dealt with in that respect. I, I couldn't imagine being a mother <laughs> yeah. who worries when their child is literally walking down the street because of the facts that surround us. It's not like there are not many different things. Now that I've, now that I knew that I was so in the dark, I've made it a point to turn inward and and learn and grow so that I can be a better human, not only for my black friends, but for, for running and being a part of a team that is truly committed to inclusiveness and truly committed to diversity, because I believe that's when you're your strongest. Right. And I can only imagine how frustrating it's almost like you're screaming and nobody can hear you. Yeah. As my grandma said, spitting in the wind. Right. I I just, I can't, I'm, yeah. I'm really trying to soak into this, this feeling that I'm experiencing right now, because it is, when you say it like that, that's a powerful thing for me. And, and I, and I can't, I cannot imagine what it's like having so many people just seemed surprised that this is, this is like, Oh, yeah. look, you know? Yeah. And so a question I would have, you know, and a question to ponder and not to respond to necessarily, but you know, one of the questions you could ask is why, why were you, why would you be unaware of, you know, outside of George Floyd, because there's m- many instances leading up and, and this isn't a critique or you know, it's not that. It's just a question to consider. Like, why was this news uh, not something that stayed in my mind or that I was able to glance over and not internalize or think about? And it, it, and again, it's not a critique. It's a question. You know, no, it's, of- it's one I'm I'm a vulnerable human and I'm all about bettering myself. And I kind of want to sit in that space and, and I want to I want to try and answer that question. I don't know if I'm going to. I don't know if I'm going to do it right or or you know, regret what I, what I say, but I, but I want to try and just sit here for a second and answer that question. Why did I not see it before George Floyd? Yeah. And honestly, maybe I was turning and looking the other way. Like I wasn't paying attention to the world around me. Maybe I was so overwhelmed with figuring out who I was and how I was showing up in this world. Um, Maybe it's just the clear blatant fact that it did not affect me. And so I didn't worry about it. I think that's fair. And I think that's honest and it sucks and it hurts. And these instances hurt. Um, If you have any level of humanity, it should bother you. It bothers me big time. It bothers me. So I'm, I'm, I'm at a point in my life right now, Penny, where I, 
I I have such deep regret for not looking into and learning to be a better human younger. I'm grateful that my eyes have been opened. I'm grateful that I have this burning desire deep inside of me to make massive impact, not only in the veterinary community, but to stand up for my friends all around me. And I'll give you this story really quick. I, I probably wouldn't have even experienced this burning desire half as much had I not, I live in a small town, right? Right. And we, nobody celebrates pride, anything. Well, we have quite a few queer people in our, in our town. Right. And so there's this wonderful group that puts on this pride parade and it's, it's a walking down main street. It's literally walking down main street. And that is it. And people got on the social media app and just started raking the queer community over the coals and just really just just posting all of these terrible things about, you know, us burning in hell and all of this stuff, you know, and I just kept saying, they've never met me before. How are they judging me right now? And they've never met me. Like I do so much for this community. I show up in so many ways and I love the people fiercely and that surround me that live here. And how are they judging me and putting me in this box? And they don't even know who I am. And that's when this light went off in my brain of like, Oh, this is a, this is a level of what, of what I I think, especially black males experience when they're out in the, out in the world, you know? And I think that goes back to you saying you, you being nervous as a mother of, of, of young men, because you don't, it's like they consistently have to look over their shoulder. I feel like I have to consistently look over my shoulder in my part of the woods because I don't know how people are going to react. Right. Mm. Right. And I will say this as well, Jen. So to a certain extent, and please take this in the vein in which I'm going to say it. Deal. You, no one has to know that you are a queer Mm. woman in your community. I show up as me. There is nothing that can be hidden about who I am. So I can't even, if I, if I thought there's nothing to hide about me. There's nothing for my sons or my daughter to hide. We are, we show up as we are, proudly show up as we are, but there is nothing that we can do to camouflage who we are. So we don't have, that's not something that could be done, even if we wanted to, even if it would create safety for us. It's not something that we can do. We are judged from the moment that we are, in existence until the day that we are not. I, I'm grateful you said that. And I don't, and I take it in not only the vein that you're saying it, but in the way of like, it's important for us to be aware of it. It, It's, it's, I'm the, the statement itself is so massive to me that I know that about you because we've had this conversation before. You know, I know that because Janelle is a dear friend of mine and she's made it very clear that she can't take her skin off. And, and, and those statements really stick with me. And it's almost, Penny, I'm going to ask this and, and I, and I feel vulnerable asking this, but sometimes I walk into a store and I'm the, I'm so far from the opposite now. Right. Because if I see anybody of color in there, 
I feel like I want to stay close to them in case somebody judges them in case some, like I want to get in front of them and protect them if I ever have that opportunity. And I don't know if that's the right thing either, because then it's like, they're just trying to live their life and not be, and I'm over here, like ready to go to war to, to protect them, to keep them safe. And then I don't know if that's the right thing either. And, and, and it's such a spectrum and I get that, but I'm just, I'm just trying to learn as I go along is what I, I guess I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, what we don't need, um, you know, and I speak from my perspective and I, I obviously don't represent the feelings of my entire black or black female community. Right. From my perspective, I am able to take care of myself. I don't need to be infantized in any capacity. I can speak up. I can say what I want to say. Um, you know, there's allyship and then there's the other thing. Um, I think in times because people want to help and they are now cognizant of this disparity in treatment and in perspective um, that they do honestly, I think, want to help, but they go from allyship to empathizing us, uh, kind of taking away our autonomy to exist because every space we walk into is not negative. there are opportunities, even in a negative space, to change it. Uh, that's generally how I walk into a space. I A, I don't recognize it um, right off. Sometimes I'm a little ignorant to it because it doesn't matter a lot to me what you think about me. Uh, <clears throat> it just doesn't. Uh, and that's a space that I've gotten to. Uh, that being said, you know, allyship is different. Allyship is trying to understand uh, it's being a, I guess, kind of a right-hand man to whatever is happening, being there to witness, uh, being there to provide support, but not stepping on toes uh, versus the other, which is overly... in the way like you're you're going to be our shield you're not right because we are 24 7 this um and you cannot be there for that mm. uh, period i'm grateful you, you know? put it that way i'm grateful yeah. you say that and i do catch myself in the moment i'm like jennifer these are grown adults like but i do yes. feel so strongly about it i'm like how like dare somebody make a judgment or how dare you assume yeah. or how dare you and so i'm i am always a little bit more aware and i'm grateful for that because i okay. i know that I will stand right by your side, like no matter what we go through. And so I am grateful that I am more aware of it. Um, But I do try to be aware of like, okay, you're, you're, you're thinking a little too much into this This is all going to be okay. So, and, and, but to be fair, I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a small town where we don't like have a lot of people of color and we're very, a lot of the people around me, um, I'm trying to think of a gentle way of saying this. They just have a lot of beliefs that maybe don't align with sure. my beliefs. And so I just, I think I'm a little bit more cautious. I want to, sure. I, I want everybody to feel loved and seen and welcome. And, and that's really important to me. So, right. All right. So if we're on this subject and we are aware, I, I, I'm going to, I kind of want to take this two different ways. And I think they're going to feed into each other because okay. ultimately I want to know how, let's say I'm a practice manager. I recognize that having a diverse team is making us a strong team and I want to do what I can 
to make it um, welcoming for everyone, right? I want to I want to kind of better understand how I can show up as a practice manager if for for people of color, women of color. I won't. I don't know if this kind of feeds into it or not, but they talk about white women being one of the keys to breaking some of the biggest racist issues that we that we are going through. Well, veterinary medicine is primarily white women. I don't know if that's a, an exact statistic, but I know that we have a large amount of um, white women in our profession. Right. And if that's the case, how can we better show up? And then I don't know if we can weave this in, but I am curious if I was this practice manager and I was running this clinic, even if I didn't have a single person of color on my team, would have having the conversation about George Floyd been valuable? Because in my mind, the statement is, yes, we need to be able to talk about it. Um, but I'm curious what you think. I know that was a lot. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. So, yes. Here's what I, I guess I will say. You're, generally, your workforce is going to reflect the community in which you work. I mean, that's just common sense. You're, you know, not going to necessarily go outside of the community to prove a diversity effort. And I think even if you can't do it in a create a diverse office, you know, you, you should have conversations. I don't know, and this isn't to diminish the impact of George Floyd, but again, there's so much more than George Floyd. There's there's so much more than George Floyd. There are organizations that you could connect with as a practice that are uh, highlighting Black veterinarians in, you know, in the practice, in the industry. So those are there uh, for you to engage with and get their feedback because I'm sure they would be better equipped than I to tell you what could work. But, you know, you could have a visiting vet day within your practice, right? You could have any number of things. You could, you know, highlight historical figures in veterinary medicine, um, you know, within a month you could do, there are many different things. And I think George Floyd is very important and it's very important that his life, uh, has his death changes the world that we live in that has to happen uh, but again back to our earlier point there were so many that are nameless and faceless in mm. the communities in which they did not happen mm. um, there are children tamir rice he was a baby he was a child he was shot within three seconds of the police arriving he had a fake gun uh mr castile uh the, you know uh, there are so many, mm. there are women, uh, the, the same situation. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so there are things I would say as a community, there needs to be education, historical education, sometimes painful education. And it's not to say that you as an individual in 2023 are responsible for things that happened in 1953 or 2002. That's not what it is. But knowledge is power. Mm. You need to be knowledgeable, not just about what's happening in your house or immediately around it, but what is happening in the world. You are a global citizen. You are responsible for being globally aware of what is happening. Period. Mm. 
I love that. I love that. And I, and I feel that deeply and I, and I, I'll give a quick shout out, shout out real quick to Nicole Bruno at blend vet, because if you're even considering this, I am going to try and get her on the, the podcast. I know she's a busy woman right now, but if you're even considering this conversation that Penny and I are talking about right now, Nicole Bruno is an amazing human to reach out to. She has a lot of programs that help with diversity within veterinary medicine and us better understanding and us better being there, not only for our teams, but our clients. And, and I'm just really grateful that you said it like that, Penny, because it, we do need to be globally aware. We do need to be better citizens, not only for the person right next to us, but the person on the other side of the world, you know, things aren't getting any easier and the minority groups are not going anywhere. And we all, all we want to do is live a happy life in my opinion. And, and that shouldn't be based off of someone else's opinion or thoughts or beliefs about us. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we all want to be, excuse me, represented, you know, we want to be seen as individuals. Yes, we belong to this group, but we are also individual people with individual experiences. You know, I grew up in a small Midwest town. I have lived in many places uh, since that time, of course. So my experience is broader. But even that, I have, listen, I have my own biases. I have my own things that I grew up with thinking were fact to later find out are fiction, right? Um, And so it's your job. You know, I will tell you the thing that kind of catapulted me out of my cocoon was reading the autobiography of Malcolm X when I was 17. And I was mad. I was angry for three years because... I had never in all of my schooling living in this town, I had never been given anything that kind of expanded on my worth as a black individual, as a black woman. And so I felt like I had been lied to for Mm. such a long time. And I felt, you know, so educating myself became my priority um, to know who I am, who I come from, what our value is. And that's personal family history, as well as, you know, just, people in history and I learned so much and so many of the stories that you're taught in school are blatant lies lies um and a lot of black history is left out of those things from a positive perspective um the negatives are taught but the positives and the contributions and the fact that this country could not have evolved in the way that it has without those underrepresented groups including black americans chinese americans Italian-Americans, Jewish persons, uh, you know, even the LGBTQIA community, those contributions are muted. They are muted. Uh, They'll throw in a couple just to keep it spicy. But to educate and to know, you have to dig in. I mean, it's unfortunate because it should just be knowledge sharing, but you really have to want to know. And you really have to make a conscious decision to learn and to be open to learning and being open to everything you thought you knew being blown up, Mm. which creates vulnerability. Mm. It absolutely does. And I feel like that's what I've gone through over the last couple of years. I mean, I just feel like I'm such a different person now, but I've been so intentional about it. And this is going to sound crazy, but I guess I'm going to wrap this up on this and I don't know, but I'm a, I'm a huge Tupac fan, right? 
Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm a huge Tupac fan. And I, he came out with a song, I think in like 1993, where it talks about changes. And I've oh, known yeah. that, I've known that song forever, right? And yep. I, I, could, I can say all of it and I can, yeah. and when I was going through this thought process and my, my personal growth, yep. and I heard that song again, I was like, and then I say it, I'm like, that was 30 years ago. Yes. And, and nothing has really changed. No. It yeah. blows my mind that that was 30 years ago and right. we're still in the same situation, facing the same things. Like, when is it going to change? You know, yeah. I know that he was ahead of his time and I know that he pushed the envelope in so many different ways. Um, right. and, and I think that's maybe why I just think so very highly of him, but 30 years, come on. Yes. So. And I will venture to say you heard it but you didn't hear it. Does that make sense? And I knew it, but I didn't know it. That's right. You can listen without hearing, right? Like you, you did not, it didn't affect you in the same way. You didn't hear it with the same ears. Mm -mm. Um, And that's perfect example. I'll even, I'll, you know what I'll, maybe we will end this on this because I'll even take it a step further in the respect of, again, I grew up, in a rougher part of town, you know, like I grew up around people who were making bad decisions and my brothers and their friends, they just weren't doing all the right things. I loved them dearly. I loved them dearly, but they weren't doing all the right things. And I thought that the, when you hear certain portions of that song, I thought it just went along with kind of like their behavior, right. Including my brothers. Right. I was like, Oh, that's kind of, you know, that's, but really what he's saying is like, this has nothing to do with, this has nothing to do with how, how, I guess the way, I guess the way that I perceive it now is like, he was having to fight that battle because of the, what's the words I'm looking for? Because of his surroundings, like the opportunities that had been put in front of, of him being from the area he was from, like, there's just not, you have to do what you can do to survive. And so I, I, I really had, I dad, it's strange that that song made such an impact on me, but it's almost like I view it in a much different light now. So. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, if we're all lucky, we evolve and we grow and we change and our perceptions broaden. That's our goal. That's our hope. It doesn't always happen, but these things that we're talking about, uh, lack of diversity, lack of inclusion, uh, incorrect perceptions or just perceptions in and of themselves, those have been around since the beginning of time. They will be here long after we are all gone. The only thing that we can do as individuals is speak our truth, show up as whole people in spaces and not cower and not uh, shapeshift to fit the narrative um, or to make other people comfortable. Mm. My job is not to make you comfortable. My job is to show up. Mm. Your comfort level is your responsibility. Well, what a perfect way to end this. Penny, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. There's not many people that I would feel comfortable with reaching out and saying, one, can I pick, can I pick your brain and can I dig into things that I'm experiencing? And then two, would you be willing to go on to a podcast with me and have this vulnerable conversation? And 
Um, just the way you show up, the way you live your life, the way that you put stuck your heels in the sand the first time I met you and said, your, your exact words were, I don't care what people think about me. I'm coming in and I'm showing up the way that feels right for me, the end. Right. And I was like, yeah, me too. I'm there. <laughs> it inspired me because yeah. of, uh, you know, things that I was facing. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your voice. I think very highly of you. And I am going to just take a second to do a call to action to anybody listening to this, because I, I faced it too. If you get bristly or defensive over the statement, microaggressions or white privilege, all I'm asking is that you dig into that a little bit more because if you feel defensive, there might be a reason for it. I'm not saying that happens to everybody, but if you feel defensive, there might be a reason. And even recognizing a little bit of that can make a massive impact. Absolutely. And I would say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm, I live uncomfortable sometimes. So it's a great place to be. You mm. learn a lot about yourself, the world that you exist in, and we all have the opportunity. I want to thank you for having me to have this conversation. Yeah, we met and it was, um, we didn't do what we were supposed to do in that meeting. <laughs> we talked about other but yeah, it was a genuine connection because I feel like my responsibility or you know, what I like to do is, again, I want to educate. I want to share my experience. I'm never offended if you're coming from a genuine place of wanting to know what my perspective is or what I've experienced. I, I can't be mad at you for that, even if we disagree at the top. I hope that there's a place where we can land, where we could say, I learned a little something from her. I hope she learned a little something from me. And maybe we can do it again sometime. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's where we are. And so I I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and having this conversation. Well, and you kind of led into the, maybe we can do it again sometime because I definitely plan on asking you back on here, but until then, thank you very much. And for anybody listening, if you could even share this episode, give it a like, give the veterinary optimist a follow, all of those things matter. I would love to hear your feedback. You can find me on any uh, major social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, LinkedIn, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. And, and again, thank you so much. Thank you.